0: So before we begin this week's podcast, an announcement, we're changing how often we record and publish the Artsy podcast. Now you'll find a new episode each and every week. So please remember to subscribe so you can stay up to date. All right, let's get to it. Hello and welcome to the Artsy Podcast, where three of our editors take you around the art world. I'm your host, Isaac Kaplan, joined by Deputy Editor Alex Forbes. Hey, Isaac. Hey, Alex. And Senior Editor Tess Thackra. Hey, Isaac. Remember when, back in the early days of the podcast, I just couldn't pronounce your name right now? Look how far we've come. Yeah, it's quite well. Feel like feels big. Today, we're going to be talking a little bit about art history, specifically how art history is taught in schools or increasingly is not taught in schools and also what impact that could have on the profession and discipline um, 20 years from now, but also today.
1: So Isaac, you wrote a story recently about the UK's decision to stop offering art history as an A-level at the beginning of 2018. Um, Tell us a little bit about what the debate is here, what the decision uh, was based around.
0: Yes, so um, just for those listeners who aren't aware, an A level is basically equivalent to an AP exam, sort of art history course taught at the high school level. And recently, uh, earlier this month, um, the last exam board in England and all well, of Britain to offer the art history exam said that they would cease to do so in 2018. And this predictably caused a firestorm within the art history community which though small tends to be very vocal um, and command a lot of attention in the pages of you know The Guardian and elsewhere. So on one side there was sort of this the debate sort of fractured along the lines of people who came out and offered like important anecdotal stories about how what art history meant to them and how important it was and people who came out and sort of said, well, yeah, it's nice, but it's really just for the rich. And then predictably, the argument kind of devolved into uh, my anecdote trumps your anecdote. You know, Jonathan Jones in the Guardian said that everyone he knew who studied art history was like a Pasho versus uh, Griselda Pollock, who wrote about how um, it's actually like an incredibly sort of, uh, th- you know, ending art history is going to only
2: heighten the class divide
1: so tess as our resident brit is everyone who studied art history that you know a pasha
2: yes i mean that that is that is true it's a fact um i took art history a level i went to private school and it is overwhelmingly studied by uh students in private schools there's just no no beating around the bush that's a fact yeah
0: so it is a fact i talked to someone uh, mark taylor who is a researcher and he told me that he looked into the numbers actually and 76 percent of students studying for the art history A level did so at private schools which makes it the tied for second most quote-unquote posh subject in all of the uk so anyway
2: yeah however i think it's important to note that the subject is not existentially posh Mm -hmm. um, and that it has enormous value however you look at it you're learning research skills you're learning um, the skills to become a historian you're learning about the entire history of humanity essentially through the lens of our cultural artifacts so um, yes it is overwhelmingly elite but we need to deal with that rather than just scrapping the subject altogether
1: well and do you think that that's <clears throat> to some extent, kind of a question of access. I mean, I think where you grew up, and even, you know, I grew up in Atlanta, and we had access to the the High Museum, but there wasn't even really incredible um, art institutions there. So even from a geographical perspective, presumably if you don't have access to art museums that have phenomenal collections that kind of trace out art history at an early age, when you turn 15, 16, it might not be something that you are... Uh, Immediately if you're especially if in England where you're picking you know three subjects to study, uh, it might not be something that you're kind of immediately drawn to.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that you kind of hit on a range of problems. One of them, I think, is that there is sort of some of them are narrative and some of them are kind of factual and tangible so the narrative problems are that art history is like a useless degree. That's a problem that needs to be corrected with with sort of just showing people that that's not true um the other The other thing is, and you know we can talk about how the american a p College Board reacted to this but I, I fundamentally do believe that even if people don't necessarily have access to museums there there a lot of people are inclined towards art and creativity if the curriculum speaks to the art and creativity and reflects the lives that they've lived and that people who maybe haven't had privilege um, can can relate to an experience so I think that part of part of what needs to happen is uh, you know obviously there should be more museums everywhere but um, If we're limiting ourselves just to a discussion about the exam itself, uh, there needs to be an emphasis on creating a curriculum that speaks to a lot of people and then offering it in state and public schools, both of those things need to Can
2: happen. I jump in, because I have a few yeah. points. So um, first of all, I just want to note that there are measures underway um, to make museums more accessible, to bring museum collections to places outside of urban centers. For example, the Tate in London has a project called the Tate Rooms, which is taking their collection all over the country. There are also access measures underway to bring art history as a subject to state schools. So the Open University in the UK is making classes accessible online, they're providing videos and other materials to schools. Um, So I would argue that these initiatives should be supported and have the chance to succeed rather than just scrapping the whole subject. One other point is that even if you don't have access to art in order to engender an interest in our cultural artefacts you are now inundated with so much visual culture, and it's, I think, really important to understand the power of images and how they can act on you and manipulate you, especially now in a sort of image-saturated age.
1: So I guess, I mean, I think that's, that's where you start to get to kind of why, why do you care if you aren't a uh, 15-year-old in England or, or the parent of a, of a 15-year-old in England. Um, I mean, how can we kind of relate to this sitting in the US in New York this morning?
0: Starting in England, I think there's a general feeling that there's kind of a cultural retreat starting with Brexit. There's sort of like this is this comes on the heels of a move by an entire nation to sort of isolate itself, one that, that the creative community was sort of uniformly against and was completely ignored. So I think that there that, that sort of speaks to a kind of um, troubling reality about how the the distance between culture and life. And I think that distance is very applicable to the United States as well. So even though, you know, the AP um, exam in art history goes on, it's only offered in 5% of high schools, but it it exists still, and and I don't expect it to disappear at any point. Um, I still think that, you know, if you talk to people, artists who live in major metropolitan areas, I think there is sort of a sense that there is a, a cultural divide between the work that's being created and, you know, a large swath of Of America who don't who don't see what this you know painting has to do with them or their lives.
1: Well, and there's been a recent shift in the curriculum for AP art history in the U.S. that kind of seeks to sync up with conversations that are happening in the art historical community. Um, Tess, you've written extensively about this widening of the canon, and how do you think that you know reassessing what's being taught in art history today um, to include work by communities of color and from Um, other regions and and nationalities um, can kind of affect the the Mm. study of art history going forward and and who that's for?
2: Yes, so art history is rooted in a Eurocentric point of view. That is, you know, um, overwhelmingly the case. It's how I studied art history. I studied uh, the history of the ancient Greeks, the Renaissance in Italy. Um, I studied nothing of, you know, Asian art and um, african art i only studied african art in terms of the european appropriation of african art which was not really made clear that that was a a big problem (laughs) um so you know and i still to this day i mean i'm doing my ma in art history right now and there is no in america there is no af course in african-american art which is pretty staggering Um, So there needs to be a major sort of overhaul of this subject in order to make it relevant to communities of color.
1: One of the things I thought was particularly interesting about the way in which they're kind of rejiggering the subject is that they're asking for people to write about, or at least as I understand it, write about how they personally relate to the works that they're being taught, which on the one hand, I think, you know, kind of plays into our millennial conceptions about, you know, how do you relate everything to your, your own personal identity? Um, but I wonder what you guys think about, you know, as having both taken art history classes, I'll admit that I am, am the one among us that was not uh, an art historian at any point in my uh, schooling. Um, but do, how do you think that shifts uh, the tutelage and, and kind of learnings of art history?
2: yeah, so I think you know museums have sort of got this memo that people learn through experience more than um, pedagogy, and you know already I, I keep mentioning a tape, but they launched their um, extension earlier this year and and the whole new switch house space is free to the public. There are lots of spaces for people to interact to um, sort of have a more social engagement with art, to have spaces to talk about it. Um, and I think that there are lessons to be learned there for teachers of art history. Um, that you can It's not about just receiving information, it's about being taught how to look and trust your responses to things, um, and sort of being gaining the confidence to trust what you see and to to be critical about it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think if, you know, your idea of expanding art history education is taking a very rigid, you know, white male canon and being like, how can I make this important? Um, you're in a spot of trouble because that's like not, that's not what we should be talking about and that's not what people are interested in talking about, I don't think. Um, so yeah, I think that there needs to be Sort of a re reexamination of, of every aspect of how of how this, this course is taught.
1: So, do we have any indication of to what extent you know axing art history in England or even some of the rhetoric around art history, you know, Obama's uh, famous kind of <laughs> dousing of it a, a little while back, um, could have on the field and the kind of careers that come out of the field um, in the future? Are we are we looking towards a, a lost generation of, of art historians?
0: I mean I think that's a tough one. I think we'll have to wait and kind of well if just the AP exam changes in the United States are relatively recent. So it'll take some time um for for the impacts of that to sort of truly be felt. I also think that there are sort of like fundamental other problems that have to be overcome. You know, if you're only offering in 5% of schools, you're you're going to be at a, you're going to be limited in terms of how many students will ever actually take it. Uh I don't think that this move in England will Impact the uh, sector, the profession in a major way, but that's not really a good thing. The reason that is is because primarily now you have to be wealthy and privileged to pursue a career in the arts. Generally, not not exclusively or uniformly, but generally that's the case. Um, you have to be willing to and able to work unpaid to start off, and and all of these other challenges. And this move to end art history in England, the A level, is primarily going to hurt. Uh, the few, and there are only a relative few of them, um, sort of le- worse off students who would already have a difficult time entering into the profession. And also, it won't direct... It will, it'll be cur- It'll be interesting to see if it changes how many people take it at the university level. That'll be the real indication. If those numbers don't fluctuate, then there's probably not going to be a difference. But if we see a sudden drop, then then I think we should all be a little concerned. But But even if there's sort of a stasis in the amount of people entering the field in England, um, which it wouldn't be necessarily be a good thing for the reasons I outlined before. But anyway, even if that continues, clearly there is uh, in, in the present market, and especially for uh, people dealing in older fields um, that are beginning to sort of be revised, the Canons, you know, old masters. This is when we talk about parts of art history that need revision, this is sort of obliquely what we're referring to, these sort of older, sort of more esteemed white men. Um, the, the people who are dealing in that in those market sectors are sort of feeling uh, in their wallets a, 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 this impact of sort of a declining relevance. I would, I would hazard.
1: Well, I mean, I think even if you look at museums right now, you know, even the Met, expanding to the Met Breuer, trying to include um, contemporary art into their offer, um, museums that offer only kind of an old master's or or more art historical view are seeing declining audiences. And as you rightly pointed out on the market side, um, dealers who are showing at um, Tefaf New York, which made its debut this week and is uh, the first time that the European Fine Art Fair, which is typically based in Maastricht, um, came to the US and is kind of known as this this haven of, of phenomenal quality of art historical material, old masters in particular, antique maps and so on. The, the thing at the tip of everybody's tongue was how do we, you know, make this material relevant to a younger audience. Um, clearly, the people who have collected this work, who have appreciated this work, um, are growing older and, and their numbers <laughs> are diminishing. Um, <clears throat> and so as kind of contemporary art and post-war and contemporary art in general has kind of dominated the discussion, um, has widened the amount of people who are interested in art... Um, what, you know, if, if people aren't studying art history, if people aren't valuing this kind of longer term discussion, how are they going to engage with that market? Is it is it just going to continue to kind of dwindle?
2: And one of the ways that museums with older collections um, are sort of dealing with this is to integrate contemporary artwork into their collections, um, create special exhibitions where they're sort of creating an arc um, over large time spans of art history. I mean, the Matt Breuer's inaugural exhibition encompassed 500 years of art. and the British Museum a few years back integrated works by Grace and Perry with their older collections. The Asian Art Museum in San Francisco has been doing this a lot um, to highlight their incredible collection of, um, of Asian art and incorporating contemporary Asian artists. Um, so I think there are museums are doing creative things to try and um, impress on people what these Old objects have to do with the objects we're creating now um, and sort of to, to draw out some of the resonances there.
1: Mm-hmm. And everybody who hasn't read it should go back and read Tess's big art history um, piece from earlier this year which actually dealt with the um, the first exhibition at the Met Breyer, Unfinished and uh, funnily enough one of the pieces from that show um, is at TAFAF this week uh, mm. was actually purchased by CNN anchor Anderson Cooper um, <laughs> which and one his was that? partner. It was a portrait by Anton Raphael Mengs, and actually the the stand where it was hanging is was particularly interesting at Otto Naumann, um, which is a New York dealer, um, because they chose to take these old master paintings out of their period frames. So what was really cool about that is that it lets you kind of envision mixing in an old master's painting like that one from 1775 with a Rothko or a painting by you know young artists in their twenties. Um, which actually mirrors how Anderson Cooper and his partner Benjamin Maisani, uh collect. Benjamin is is apparently much more focused on old masters' work and historical material, um, while Anderson Cooper prefers postwar and contemporary work. In their in their their home, mm. um, they they meld these two aesthetics apparently very well. I haven't yeah, had the the privilege of going to check it out, but you know. If he's if he's listening, we'll be glad to do a, a collector profile.
2: I think that's really interesting because I think it's it's a question of um, marketing and how you sort of package something to some extent, how that influences the way you see something. And I, my main takeaway from the Matt Breuer show was just seeing old masters in a brutalist concrete modern space how that completely changes the way you look at it and you suddenly look at el greco for instance and you know it looks contemporary it looks completely radically expressive and fresh and new um so i think there's a lot you can do to to just kind of shake things up and make people see things in a different way
1: but I guess that makes me wonder, you know, if we're seeing a swell of interest in contemporary art, post-war contemporary art, and at the same time, we're kind of just starting to see the, the ways in which art history can be more uh, compellingly linked um, with that material. Is, is this axing of art history, is, is, the, is the diminished interest in it uh, only temporary and we could expect to see a resurgence or... or
0: well, that's a tough question. But I'll make a crazy <laughs> prediction. I, I, I like crazy predictions. Go a for crazy it. Prediction. I mean, I think 100% the move was the wrong one to end art history. But I think equally that the fight to bring it back must incorporate the realities of why it was Axe, which is sort of the one increasing felt irrelevance, despite as much as we can sort of, you know, protest on an art podcast that no, no, it speaks to everyone. Obviously people feel differently and the other is that it is part of a move by a conservative government in England to really gut state education over there and you know one person I spoke to for the piece sort of said you know if you want more people to take art history give more money to state schools and I think that the more that we link art history as a subject to society at large in the same way we link art itself to society at large that's where the value comes from the the better the better off we'll all be and and the more um, people will sort of see the value of the the subject.
1: On that mic drop, let's leave it there.
0: All right. So, white wine, where will we be drinking it in the art world this week? Tess, why don't you start us off here?
2: So I'm going to be going to a show of work by Beverly Buchanan at the Brooklyn Museum. She's an African-American artist. She passed away last year, and she's completely... Overlooked. This is her first really comprehensive survey. Um, And I haven't seen the work yet, but it looks incredible. She created earthworks in the south, these beautiful little shacks um, that sort of meditate on home and place and identity. um, And it, it looks pretty great. So I'm excited. Alex?
1: Um, in, in other, re- until recently, overlooked artist news, I'm going to be going to uh, Carmen Herrera's show at the Whitney Museum, um, Lines of Sight is, is the title, uh, and Carmen Herrera is an amazing artist who's um, really been surfaced over the past few years uh, with the help of her gallery Listen, among others. It's her first exhibition, or museum exhibition, I should say, in New York in over two decades, and I think it's going to be really interesting to see to what extent they're kind of able to recontextualize her work. Um, she's, she's into her hundreds now, um, and has certainly not had the place um, in our historical canon that her, her male peers in geometric abstraction have. So. Very, very interested to see to what extent the Whitney is is able to pull that off and, and kind of rewrite the canon as, as so many museums right now are trying to do.
0: I've seen the Carmen Herrera show and it is awesome. I've also seen the Carrie James Marshall show, which is opening up at the Met Breuer.
2: So excited to see that.
0: So good. I saw it when it was in Chicago. Um, so I guess this is technically a cheating white wine in that I've already seen it. But I, I think I'm going to go again. Um it's a it's an incredible an incredible exhibition of of a of an artist who makes intervening in the canon uh, very tangibly a subject of of his of his practice and kind of adding some nuance to it. Anyone who studied art history, I think, will really enjoy it because he appropriates a lot of tropes um, and and sort of recreates um, famous works from from the past. What
1: about for those of us who didn't?
0: You'll still enjoy it. I mean, I think it's <laughs> a gateway into art history in a lot of ways because they're they're compelling in and of themselves, and you're like, why is that like? You know, things stretched out across the ground. It's like, oh, it's making fun of the Memento Mori, in in you know this. They're other
2: contemporary way. figures, though, right? I mean, they're telling stories about yeah. contemporary people. Oh yeah, so absolutely. It's very relevant.
0: All right, well, that's all we have time for today. Thanks to our guests Tess and Alex for coming on, and see you guys next time. Our podcast today was produced by Abigail Kane. Our intro music is by Broke for Free. Please remember to rate and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes if you haven't already. And thanks for listening.